A few weeks back on this show, we talked to a couple of funny guys, Michael O'Connell and Jason Arminio, about uh, a comedy show they were in, engaging in at, at the, the Davis Graduate, and we thought it'd be fun to have them back, and it and today's the day. So we'd like to say welcome back, gentlemen, Jason and Michael. Thank you. I'm, gl- I'm glad you didn't lose your license because of our last appearance. <laughs> yeah, just for clarification, the correct pronunciation is Shiite. <laughs> okay, good. Great. I'll be sure to remember that this time. Mental note. Okay, sure. <laughs> Let's talk about comedy. Let's talk about uh, what what it's like being a stand-up comedian because it's something a lot, a lot of people think, hey, I'm pretty funny. I could do that. But let's face it, it's it's a bit of a tough road to hoe, isn't, is it not? Yeah, it is. It's a, you, always, you always think, I could probably, and then when you get up behind that mic, it's it's a whole different thing. But it's so worth it. When you make that jump and get up there and do it, I mean, there is just nothing like it out there. Uh, just just the, the charge of that, just knowing that you're getting up there and doing something that the majority of people in America fear more than death. <laughs> and that's just public yeah. speaking. That's yes. not public speaking with hecklers. That's just, it's, 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 uh, that's it's challenging. True. Usually when you're, you're, you're fearing, you know, it's giving a speech at your college is terrifying enough. The people at your college aren't drunk and throwing Bing cherries at you. Um, it's, it's, it's exciting and it's fun and it's a great group of people to work with. That's what amazed me about comedy. It's the one place I, I've seen where there really literally is no difference between the people. It, it cracks me up. The people we see working together and hanging out together. We've got, you know, rednecks and thugs and soccer moms and strippers. All of those are actual comedians that we know, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, and you're saying when you guys are all in the back room, everybody's kind of it's, bonding? It's all just comedians and nobody there. There is no race. There is no age. We got college students and grandparents together. And there's no difference when you're back there. All the people hanging out together are just comics. And that's not something you have to work at. It just happens in comedy. Comedians are just the greatest people in the world to hang out with. It's it's awesome. It is the melting pot finally realized all you had to do in is put in some fart jokes. And <laughs> it finally happened. What do you guys find the most satisfying thing is when you're, when you're up there and you're doing something and your fellow comics are busting up? Is that kind of like the gold standard? Oh, if you can make other comics laugh uh, collectively, you've, you've achieved... I don't know, you've hit for the cycle. I don't know what, what sport <laughs> reference you want to hear, but uh, you've knocked out a guy in the first round. It, it's really, it, that's unheard of, really. It, usually you get, if they're really, really good comics, you might get, uh, well, that that was, that was amusing. Uh, what you did there in that, in that first minute, that was amusingly funny. I found that to be hilarious. Usually if you get that, you're very happy. If you can get make somebody actually laugh, uh, you've achieved uh, orgasmic levels. Now, what you really want to shoot for, though, as opposed to the laugh, you know, you've really hit it. If you see that seething look of murderous envy in their eyes, <laughs> that they're just so jealous and they want you dead, that's when you've hit it. That's, that's when that that's joke... That's achievement. Yeah, you're going to keep that little scrap of paper in your pocket. I'm going to use that joke again. <laughs> well, let's actually talk about that. There are some comics out there that, shall we say, have a reputation, a bad reputation for stealing other people's materials. And I know that Robin Williams is considered the king of the, of the thieves. I mean, everybody borrows from everybody else a little bit. I mean, how can you not? You know, I've heard I've heard stories told both ways in regards to him. He's one of my heroes. I think he's just brilliant and amazing, and he's so in the moment all the time. And I think when you're so in the moment all the time, you know, some things are stuck in your crawl space yeah, like up the there. Like you saw last night, his whole act. It just happens to the, be the right entire there. act. <laughs> yeah, I want to repeat every single word of it right right now. You know, but I don't know him personally, and I've I've never seen it actually happen. Uh-huh. Uh, occasionally, you'd run into it here and there, but usually, what happens is is it you know like doorknobs. Well, I, you know, you know, Mike has a bit about doorknobs, and Joe has a bit about doorknobs. They're the same exact bit about the doorknobs, and I bet you guys didn't know that doorknobs could be funny. 
twice. This is why a lot of a lot of comics will try, or at least they should be trying to do. Really, I think more off the wall material because really, like for me uh, as a wheelchair comedian, not a lot of people doing my jokes, <laughs> except a couple people in wheelchairs, and I keep an eye on them. Um, <laughs> but it's just a natural thing. It's like everyone thinks, "Oh, that's my joke." I'm like, "Well, that's Charlie Sheen." Everybody was doing Charlie Sheen jokes in the, you know, it's it's just. <laughs> Everybody's going to get the same joke out of it. So, yeah, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, keeping an eye on that and, and not purposely stealing people's jokes, that's a good way to stay in comedy and not get yourself, um, you know, jumped behind yeah. the comedy club after the after the thing is over. You, you want to be as original as possible. That's what you learn. You want right. to be as original and unique as possible. And I, it reminds me of a funny story you're talking about. I actually had a person come up to me. He was laughing at a fellow comic. He came up to me and he said, hey... I was going to talk about being short, uh, you know, so I would appreciate if you didn't do that anymore. <laughs> I, I said, well, I'll be sure I'll be sure to go back in time and make sure I drink milk and uh, become become an NBA star. So I don't do comedy. Uh, so thank you for telling me. I, I, I didn't know I still had that option. There, there are so many famous stories. Uh, I hear that. Henny Youngman, I mean, the king of the one-liners. He'd come to town, he'd, he'd call up his fr- fellow comics and say, yeah, I just need an extra joke for Vegas. Can you got one? Yeah, can you? And pretty soon, he took big 30 calls and he had a new act. <laughs> it was just like, and then... Nice. That was, that. oh God, I long for the classic days. Who was it? I think it was actually uh, Buddy Hackett that mentioned this, the TV killed comedy uh, about that just because there's these guys that used to go and make a living off their five-minute sets right. all over the country. Right. Nobody knew those jokes. Right. Well, now we've gone beyond that. Uh, Buddy Hackett did not know YouTube was coming. And so now at the minute, I mean, local comedians, oh, I just put my set up tonight. And now, oops, now all your jokes are known everywhere. And so it's, yeah, it's tough. It's, it's, it's provided a constant need to come up with new material. I like that. But, but boy, it must be nice to have that. Uh, just pack your set in your suitcase, travel around the country. You do hear that vaudeville, the vaudevillians would get, you know, one, one act, 20 minutes, and they, they, they earn a living for a lifetime. People's needs were clearly different back then. I mean, but I mean, even back then with the singing, man, everybody wanted to hear the standards. You know, it's like everybody wanted to hear Chicago, but they want to hear it sung by Sammy and by Frank. And they just want to hear the same song over and over. You don't get that a lot now. People are like, where's your song? So same with jokes. What's the toughest thing you guys are facing? In t- I mean, I mean that, that's, that sounds like a heck of an obstacle, having to be fresh all the time. Uh, originality, that's hard. Uh, and... You know, there's not that much, you know, I think we talked about last time when we were here about all the different venues you can see, kind of underground comedy and that kind of thing. But when you boil it down in a week, you know, you got up five minutes here on a Monday, five minutes here on a Wednesday, you know, 10 minutes here on a Friday, if you're lucky, you know, it's 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes and that's it. You have to find stage time. Stage time is really, really valuable. We value that more than air sometimes. If we can get five minutes in your place, in front of these people, in front of that booker, in front of those comics, you know, people who can help us out, that that's very valuable. So it's about being funny in front of in front of the right people. Is it still a thing where at some point you're going to want to go to the comedy store in L.A. and be the guy that goes on at 3 a.m. because you you know you, you can work your way up from that to the to the big time? Is that still how it works? That's that's still how it works. I mean, it, it, you know, once once you're good enough and once you kind of have your act, it's either L.A. or New York. You pick your poison and you, you go from there. And uh, and once you can make it there in New York or L.A., then, you know, you can write your own ticket. So, um, you know, Sacramento doesn't have that kind of reputation. But, uh, you know, and and rightfully so, you know, if, if I wanted to make, uh, you know, if I was a shoemaker, uh, then I'd go right to Vietnam. And, and if I make it there... <laughs> 
uh, I know that I'm a great shoemaker. It's up to you, Saigon. <laughs> up to you, Saigon. <laughs> yeah, and then that, that's when you hit it. I mean, when you get a chance to get down, uh, L.A. feels great. I've gone down, I just had my, uh, when I did a show in L.A., and it just doesn't matter what you're doing, you're in L.A., doesn't matter if there's anybody big there to see. You're just like I'm here in LA doing comedy. It just feels better. Did you, and you it's have a, a really great venue, or is just you were just you were just in there in LA? No, it was really great. They have a new club actually in Burbank, a new oh. uh, Flappers Comedy Club. They have another one, but they opened a new one in Burbank, and it was pretty fresh. And I got to work there and just loved it. I'm like I'm in Burbank. <laughs> I'm in Tonight Show land. I'm not on the Tonight Show, but I'm in the same sort of zip code. <laughs> I'm in the Tonight Show parking lot. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I hope Johnny waves me over. Oh, I feel like I was in a Tonight Show tribute band. It was great. <laughs> yeah, you know that. You, you, it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, that was the standard. I mean, if you if Johnny Carson, we were on the Tonight Show back in the from the '60s, '70s, '80s. Carson liked you, and he brought you over to sit down. Your 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 future was virtually assured right there. But is is there any kind of thing now that that's can be can make or break somebody? Uh, yeah, if I don't get that like on YouTube, I know. You know, I, I don't know if, if it's if it's like that anymore. You still have to be impressive. I think the David Letterman show. I think if you can make it because the David Letterman, the comedian spots on that show are very narrow. Mm -hmm. So there could be maybe nineteen in a year. You know, that's at, all. That's not a lot. I mean, that's nothing. Wow, nineteen in a year. You're going to see a comedian, and you already know uh, Jim Gaffigan's going to get two. Uh, Seinfeld's gonna get one. So I mean, when, when you start talking about stage time and those numbers, if you but if you can get on David Letterman, I, I, st I still in my mind that is that is the equivalent of making on on Johnny's show back in 1982. In my mind, anyway. And once you do, you, you really not that you can write your own ticket or or make your own way, and you're not you know Paramount's not calling you immediately. But you, you get a different different reputation, I think, around other comedians and in other venues. And they want those TV credits, and that's certainly the A number one TV credit in my mind. That is, of course, unless Arsenio comes back, and we're all holding out for that, because that's my <laughs> pinnacle right there. I want to get up, and I want to do the fist. And well, you know, you guys are you guys are relative. You, you're, you young fellers looking forward to a career. I mean, it, it is... Uh, in show business, in general, very difficult to make a go of it. In comedy, probably even more so. Are you, but are you going for the brass ring? I mean, you, you hope to be like a professional comedian at the top of the game 25 years from now? I mean, is that that's a very that's, tall order for anyone. It's the it, hope that most of us have sure. and what you got to strive for. And somebody just said the other day, uh, and I heard him say it, uh, I think it was Mike Bettencourt, as a matter of fact, another comedian here. Who? Uh, yeah. Who, uh, who had said, um, I don't even know if it's original, but getting into comedy is easy. Staying in comedy, not so easy. And it's true. Now that I've been in it for a while, it's like, boy, you know, you start, it's great. It feels fantastic. Then you've got rent money. You've yeah. got, you know, yeah, yeah. the need for calories in your <laughs> diet. And you got to make the money. And it's harder and harder to get out there. And it's hard to not get your wife to throw things at you when you're out till three in the morning again doing jokes. And so staying in is tough. But it's, it's something, if you're really into comedy, it's something that you can't stop. It's something you really have to do. Um, and preferably on a stage where people will look at you funny. Because if you do it at the bus stop, it doesn't always go over as well. <laughs> I imagine there is quite a bit of blue chip comedy at the bus stop if you're at the right place at the right time. If you're at the right corner, you can write your own ticket there, too. <laughs> I've worked regional transit. It's okay. <laughs> well, gentlemen, in closing, any direction you'd like to take this? I'm just going to open up the field. Anything you want to you wanna talk about? Because you're comedians, and I know you're used to doing that. Well, yeah. You know, we've talked enough about us, I think. Let's talk about you. What got you into radio? Did, did did TV not work out for you? 
Um, well, I do have I do have a face for radio, so it was a natural fit. But uh, I guess we could tell this story. We told this story in the air before. I got a call about eleven years ago from a buddy of mine. He said he called one morning, despondent, and said, "I am so sick of being a lawyer. Let's do a radio show. You be the doctor, I'll be the lawyer." And I went, Steve, that's the best idea anyone's given me all year, I think. So Mr. Marillion and I went down to public access here in, in Sacramento, got trained how to do it, and uh, a couple years later found our way to this fine institution and have been here for eight years. Fantastic. I, I love America. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. I do not want to be in an office anymore. Is there anything that we can do that doesn't involve computers or if somebody uh, but, asking me if I want coffee? I just want the, something the sad by myself. The of the story is my friend is still a lawyer. Oh. But again, I'm still a doctor, so I guess, I guess that wasn't enough to give up the profession. To the do sad the part is he's, he's a lawyer. You're right. Uh, that was a pathetic part. I, I, well, are you married or are you a... Uh... I am a single man. Single man? How long you? How long has that been going on? <laughs> I'm sure your parents are proud. Um, boy, you know, it's, it's tough okay. being on the other end of the being asked questions like that. Yeah, see, uh, you know, and yeah, don't, not, don't give Michael. I'm not a stand-up comic, so I'm kind of like a, you know. Like, see, that's it. Don't don't feel like you have to impress us. We're gonna tear you down even if you say something funny. So I mean, even if you said the most. I'm getting the heckler treatment. Yeah, even if you say <laughs> the most hilarious thing, I've been trained to ignore that <laughs> and make myself again, as a fellow be, comedian feel as powerful. Revealing yeah. to us earlier. Yeah. yeah. I just this show is me every week, I guess, and Mr. McMillan, and that's kind of like uh, it's really funny. I could say this: someone I hadn't talked to for many, many years, sort of reconnected through the internet and other things, other methods, I guess you'd say. And um, she was trying to explain to her daughter about what this old palette did, and so she put on a couple of the radio programs. And it was like, that's it. You can tell a lot about a person by like what they're putting forward and something like this. As I'm sure in both your cases, you're up there on the stage, and you is what's coming out in the microphone. I think Michael alluded to it before. Uh, we become close friends right away because after you've seen a person do five minutes here and maybe another five minutes there, you realize you know everything there is to know about that person. Sometimes some dark, <laughs> deep down secrets. You find out a lot about a person. You become close right away. And once you kind of have that bond uh, off stage, you know, you go, oh, I know, I know how it is to have wife and kids and. Kind of like people have been in a war together. People have been like a medical residency together. Something like that. You've kind of been to the trenches together, and and that's there's a certain bond. We've all been heckled. We've all told <laughs> that joke we shouldn't have told to that one crowd. Yeah. What do you do? What do you have any? What do you do with the? I mean, there's there's any method, I guess. Some guy in the front row is just drunk and he's giving you grief. What's the? Is there a standard way to handle it? Standard? No. There is. Every comedian does a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Whereas we mentioned earlier, my big advantage is uh, being a comedian in a wheelchair. Don't have to deal with hecklers a lot. Most hecklers draw the line there, no matter how drunk they are. So I haven't had a problem with that myself. But other guys, I mean, just there are guys who are just so, so good at that and just destroying hecklers. It's hysterical. Uh, that's, of course, what we root for, but I've seen a couple of the other ways. When I, I got to tell you, I've seen a couple of award-winning hecklers that have just killed a comedian on stage really? and ruined the set. And the audience applauded the heckler. And that's every heckler's dream. They'd lay up at night just dreaming of this. I've seen it happen. So keep trying, hecklers. It can happen. You can reach that dream. It can happen for you, I'm telling you. Uh, the best I ever saw, and I know Jason, you probably have a story on this, but the best I ever saw was Jay Leno at the comedy store one night back in the 70s. And a guy starts talking something in the front row and looks down at him and says, Sir, do you talk to the television at home? Do you see this guy? Look out, Kojak! <laughs> that's People always want to hear about the heckling heckling stories, and those are usually you know pretty memorable and you know, something exciting happened. But most of the time, people who come out to see us, 
they want to laugh. So once you learn that, that people, well, as a comedian, once you learn that the people here aren't out to get me, uh, they're here, they want to laugh. They're, they're rooting for me to succeed because if I've succeeded, then I validated their you know, willingness to come into this bar this night or this willingness to come into a, into a, a club that night and see me. But let me ask you this. Is there a moment where, you know, as happens to every comedian, I think you do your standard material that killed the night before, but for some reason you're greeted with silence. Is there a point where the audience starts to turn on you and they're and they're they're rooting for you to die? Oh, boy, rooting for me to die. I don't know about that. I've had that happen, though, where, where, where something and it'll happen twice in one night. First show, they loved every second of it. The second show, uh, they did not go to high school. So that my state, you have to go to high school. Uh, to be able to watch, can you please pass a general equivalency uh, diploma uh, exam? Same school kids. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can enjoy my comedy. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about TV and commercials. It, it isn't that difficult. So if one group of people like me, then the next group should like me. And if they don't, then I, I usually get belligerent. Isn't that the perennial puzzle that you do that? You do the one act and it kills. You do the same act expecting to get at least something approximating killing, and you get. I did, I did that one week just to keep track. I did like the exact same material, like four different clubs in five nights. And what happened? And the result was a little different every time. There was, oh, I just knocked him dead with it. The crowd loved me. All these people going, oh, my God, where can we see you again? Very next night, silence. Very next night, eh. Then came back again, and then it was just out of the park again. It was a great night. Same material. So basically, yeah, I, I blame the audience. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's much easier that way. And yes, kids, like I said, stay in school. We'll help you appreciate comedy. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure once again. In the fall, we'll have to bring you back, maybe when things are when things are picking up and kids are back in school here again. I love the fall. Let's do it. Hopefully times are bleak and people want to laugh. All right, we've been speaking with Jason Armenio and Michael O'Connell. Gentlemen, a pleasure as always, and uh, break a leg. Thank you, Doug. Thanks for having us back.